0: First Corinthians chapter 14 in your bibles please. First <clears throat> Corinthians 14. We're going to get through the first 17 verses today. Finished First Corinthians 13 last week speaking on that chapter of charity, the necessity of enveloping all that we do in the church, all of our exercising of our gifts in love recall with me at the end of 1 Corinthians 12, call, Paul called upon the people, the readers, to covet earnestly the best gifts. As we begin today, we need to make two points about this concept of coveting earnestly the best gift. Remember, I had mentioned when we got there, based upon the Greek word, the word zelao, which means to be zealous over, that it's not that you're coveting as, as in your wanting a uh, gift that you don't have, but rather you are excited about those particular gifts that God has given to the church that are more honorable, you are excited about those who would find themselves in a position to best edify the church and who would find themselves in a position where they know their gift. And they thus exercise their gift in the body. Now, the two points I'd like to mention in regard to this concept are these. First, we mentioned before that every man is given a gift which we ought to do our best to identify every person who's a believer let's make that clear every believer has been given a spiritual gift but that this This gift does not exempt us from other operations in the church. So while a man may have the gift of giving, this does not exempt him from other necessities and perhaps duties in the church. While your pastor has indeed been given the gift of teaching, this does not exempt me from encouraging and from showing mercy and from giving and from edifying and from evangelizing the lost because these gifts... um, or these expectations, these things are needed in the church. It's just not the particular gift that the Lord has given to me. And second, I wanted to remind you as well, first, that we have a responsibility, uh, responsibilities in the church, oftentimes that go beyond our gift. But second, that there is a level of ambiguity when it comes to the gifts. And uh, I, I, I say this because after I preached my 1 Corinthians 12 message on the gifts, my wife had a particularly difficult time processing my teaching. That's not common. Usually I ask my wife how things went, what she thought. She gives me some constructive criticism. She gives me some points that went well, some things that she thought uh, were good, some things that she'd never thought of before, whatever the case may be. But this time she, she simply said, I need to think about this one a little bit more. And the reason why she had come to that place is because when my wife was taught the spiritual gifts, she had been taught them and, and as having been broken up into three categories. She was taught that the Romans 12 gifts were personal gifts, and every Christian is given one. Then the Ephesians 4 gifts are administrative gifts which are meant to lead and guide the church, and, and those would be added on top of the one of the ones that you would receive from Romans 12, and then that there are operation gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 that are given specifically for people in the church context to operate. And so because she had learned it that way, and I presented all the gifts as if they were on equal footing, she had a harder time processing them. And so as I thought about it and prayed about it and studied it and all of the things... Um, having to do, I'd never heard that before. None of the resources that I've gone to have ever presented it that way before. I have several resources at home. I checked them all. None of them presented any sort of breakup of categories of gifts. I'd never even thought about that. And um, so because I'd not heard of that, I didn't present it in that way. Um, there are many things about that breakup that I like as I studied it. However, as I studied it, restudied it, and thought about it, there are also some things about that breakup that don't quite make sense to me, particularly because when you look at the Romans 12 passage and the 1 Corinthians 12 passage, Paul presents them both with the exact same analogy, which is we are all members of a body, and we've all been given a part to play. He says it in Romans 12. He says it in 1 Corinthians 12. And so I had a harder time seeing it, perhaps. But, but all of that to say this. Is that breakup legitimate? Possibly. Possibly. But we can't really know because Paul doesn't dwell very long on the gifts. And the reason why Paul doesn't dwell very long on the gifts is because there are more important things that he's hitting on in these passages. And we saw that last week. In 1 Corinthians 13, we saw this presentation of love and the necessity of love. And I wouldn't call First Corinthians 13 a parenthesis between 12 and 14 as much as I'd almost say that 12 and 14 were the parenthesis that pointed to Paul's teaching in chapter 13. In other words, Paul wanted them to get this concept of love. The problem was they were stuck on the gifts. And so he had to present the gift stuff, but he says, I'm going to show you a better way, a more excellent way in the middle here. And that's love. Yes, know your gifts, exercise your gifts, do your thing, but do it in love. And so, whether you maybe have had learned about that breakup and you were really confused with my teaching or whether you agreed with my teaching or, or whatever the case may be, I'm, I'm not going to be too concerned because the fact of the matter is, if the breakup is valid and Romans 12 those are the gifts that are given to every... Uh, everyone gets one of those Romans 12 gifts and the other ones are come and go for ministry. Well, then when you, when you search out your gift, your gift is going to end up being one of those Romans 12 gifts. And that's fine. Wonderful. When you, when you find your gift, if the breakup's valid, it'll be one of those seven from Romans 12. If that's not valid, then it might be one of the other ones from 1 Corinthians 12 or Ephesians chapter 4. And so, again... There's some ambiguity here. And as best I can present it, as best my study has brought me at this point, I've presented it as I understand it. Please don't get caught up, uh, don't get tripped up by it. Just recognize that what we are doing here is looking at the gifts, recognizing the gifts, desiring to find our gift but desiring to find it and then operate within the manner that Paul has called us to in the church. And that is his focus. So as we begin in 1 Corinthians 14, let's look in verse 1. (coughs) Excuse me. He says, follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. But rather that ye may prophesy. Paul bridges back into the teaching on the gifts and he says that we should always pursue them in charity. So remember last week he, he, he spoke on charity heavily in the last two weeks as we looked at it in 1 Corinthians 13. He said in verse 13, And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. And so he says, follow after charity. This is the thing you're supposed to pursue. And that's what that word means in the Greek. Pursue, follow after, chase. Find out what charity means. We've done that, right? That was our application last week. Learn to love, strive to lo- uh, learn to love, determine to love, and strive to love. So follow after charity, determine and strive for it. Go after it. Determine that you will exercise love because it's a choice. Love is not something an emotion. It's not something you fall into and out of. Love is a choice. So choose to love, and he says, while you're you're pursuing love. Desire spiritual gifts. Be zealous. This is the same word that we saw in chapter 12, verse 31, translated covet in our King James Bibles. So we said in verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 31, covet earnestly the best gifts. And we said that means be zealous over those gifts. Um, be, be excited about those gifts. Well, that's the same thing here. Desire. Be zealous over. Be excited about these spiritual gifts. Desire them. Look for them. But... But look for them as you're running after charity. Right? You're you're running after charity. Your focus is love toward the brethren. And as you love the brethren, as you love the church, you will serve. You will serve the church as you exercise love. And as you're serving, and as you're doing what you're supposed to do, you're serving the Lord, you're serving the church, you're serving your family, you're serving fellow believers, you will find it if you're looking. So be desirous over it. Look for it. But don't spend your life, your Christian life, seeking to attain unto some spiritual gift. Don't be so focused on the spiritual gift that you forget, wait a minute, I need to exercise this gift in love. I need to be loving the brethren. Okay, so maybe I'm not a mercy, but mercy is needed right now, so I'm going to be merciful. Okay, maybe I'm not a giver, that's not necessarily my spiritual gift but giving's needed right now so I'm going to give because I love. And then as you start exercising the gifts you say, wow, this one's the one that really just this is the one that's bearing fruit in my life. This is the one that others are identifying. This is the one that I, I find the most joy and fulfillment in so this is where I need to plug myself in. This is where the church can use me best. the Corinthian church had a real problem with taking particular spiritual gifts and seeking to emphasize them in an out-of-balance way. So Paul is correcting them and putting them in the place where they should be. And so he, he says here, as you follow after charity and you desire spiritual gifts, he says rather, as you're desiring these spiritual gifts that you should desire those that are most beneficial to the church. That you should desire those that are best for edification. And he says, namely, that gift that you should be zealous over, excited over, want to see people develop, is the gift of prophecy. Now, we've talked about this gift of prophecy and what it is. This is not telling the future. Today, there's a big movement out there, and we've talked about this to... You know, people with this prophetic gift, they see visions, they they see your future, whatever the case may be. That is not what this is speaking of here. This is speaking of a forth-telling ministry. The Old Testament prophet only used signs and wonders to validate his message. The message was the point of the prophet. And the message was one speaking to God's people to return to God through His Word. And that is the purpose of the prophet today, to speak forth to God's people, God's Word, for the purpose of keeping God's people in line with God and His expectations. So Paul says, if you want to desire a spiritual gift, if you want to be excited over the gifts, be excited over those who prophesy, who tell the Word of God. And there's two things that I would like us to glean from these verses as we go through them today, verses uh, two through 17. The first, and we'll talk about them again at the end, but the first thing I'd like us to consider is the purpose of the assembly of believers. The purpose of us coming together. You're here. I'm glad you're here. So good morning. Roads were clear, and and uh, it wasn't necessarily too hard to get here this morning. But 10 o'clock can be early for some folks. I'm glad you made it. I'm glad you're here. Why are you here? What's the purpose of you coming? We're going to talk about that. And then second, exactly how important it is that the Word of God be declared to us as believers. Not even just to unbelievers, but how important the Word of God is to be declared to believers. And those are the two points that we're going to consider as we look at how Paul is correcting them in regard to their spiritual gifts. Chapter 14 will continue as we go into next week and the week after to correct more in regard to spiritual gifts, but it is much excuse me, it is as much teaching about the purpose of the gifts in the church as it is about the gifts themselves. And don't forget that. So in verse two, Paul says this for he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God, for no man understandeth him. Howbeit this in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. We recall when I preached on the sign gifts specifically that the overarching purpose of the sign gifts and specifically the gift of tongues was to be a sign to unbelieving Jews that the last days had become. This was very clear. We went to Pentecost, the day where tongues first began. And as we saw that when the Holy Spirit fell upon those 120 in the upper room and the and they spoke in tongues, and the people heard them in their own languages, we remark that in Peter's address to the people, he quoted from Joel. Verses that specifically mentioned that the day that, that people spoke to the Jews in an unknown tongue would be a day that would show that the day of the Lord is at hand. It's a sign it's intended to be a sign to unbelieving Jews that they would recognize that the church is of God, that Jesus Christ is of God, that this is happening and that they need to repent, they need to get right with God, and they need to align themselves with God's program through Jesus Christ. Now, as Paul speaks of these tongues, it seems as though what's happening here is that there is a language being spoken that those in the church are not able to benefit from. Back in the in the book of Acts, the people spoke in tongues, and all of the, the various proselytes from the regions around Jerusalem heard their speaking in their own language. Here, it seems as though a person was speaking a known language, just not known to anyone in the congregation. This does not mean that it, it was not a legitimate real language. It doesn't mean it was just gibberish. Simply that the language was one that not everybody knew. Do you understand the difference? If I began today preaching in Creole, if I got up and started preaching in Creole, there would be a couple of people in this assembly that would understand me. They'd be right along with me. They'd get it. It would be fine. But the majority of you would be sitting there really not benefiting much from what I was saying. Because you don't speak Creole. And so I speak in English because I don't know any other language, but also because that means the body can be edified. And so that is sort of what was happening in the Corinthian church. The Lord had had gifted some folks to speak in tongues for the sake of reaching those Jews with this sign of the last days and yet they were getting up and they were speaking in the body, in the assembly. There was no interpreter. No one knew the language. It was no good to anybody. Okay, that's nice, good. I'm glad that they are exercising their spiritual gift. I'm glad they're excited about the Lord, but I don't know what they said. It's not helping me a bit. Maybe they said great things about how we need to do right and the ways that that the Lord has been teaching them um, how to serve and uh, maybe something about love or or maybe something about um, uh, humility or whatever the case may be. The Lord has taught them great things and they're expressing it to themselves because nobody can understand them. So Paul says, they that speak in an unknown tongue speak not unto men but unto God. Yes, they're glorifying God but no one can be benefited from it. Now, perhaps if we kind of reverse-engineered what's happening here in Corinth, we could understand a little bit better what happened in the book of Acts in Acts chapter 2. Maybe it wasn't so much that they were all speaking in their language in Hebrew and everyone heard it in a different language, as, we, as even I presented it. But maybe it is that God had gifted those 120 in the upper room to speak different languages. And so they were all speaking in a different tongue and people that were from those regions heard and understood. It may be, it may not be. We really don't know. But what we do know is that there's no place in Scripture where it speaks just of babbling gibberish. We're seeing known languages here. Known languages and that the importance of the gift of tongues was assigned to unbelieving Jews. Jews. Thus Paul states that the man speaking in tongues is not speaking to men but he's speaking to God. He's not communicating meaning as much as he is communicating a sign. And we'll come back to that in just a little bit. So no one understands him. He's speaking a language nobody knows. Nobody's being edified. Notice verse 3. He says, "But he that prophesieth speaking unto men to edification, excuse me, but he that prophesieth speaketh Unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. So we have a contrast here. We see the, the gift of tongues, and he's speaking in an unknown tongue, and he's speaking to God, and the men can't understand. He says, but on the contrary, when you have somebody who is prophesying, in other words, just speaking in the, the everyday language, speaking in the known tongue, proclaiming the Word of God in a manner that is proper unto communication, he is not only glorifying God by what he's saying, but he's also exhorting, edifying, and comforting the believers. This is the contrast Paul is painting here and it becomes very evident very quickly which one is more helpful, beneficial in the church, doesn't it? It becomes very easily evident. And, and we'll continue, and he'll make that clear. Paul will, will even set this before them and say, is this not simple logic? That the one who is prophesying, the one who is speaking in the language that the people understand and proclaiming the Word of God is doing more good for the church than the person who is speaking in a language that nobody understands. Verse 4, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church the one speaking in an unknown tongue edifies himself because he knows what he's saying and maybe one or two others do if they have been either if they know the language or they have the gift of interpretation but no one else knows it he's edified but the others are not however the one speaking in a known tongue and proclaiming the word of god edifies the church because they can understand him and remember what our argument is paul is not just teaching on the difference he is teaching why the gift of declaring the revealed Word of God is so much more important to the church than the gift of tongues. And so he says this in verse 5. He says, I would, this would be my desire, he says, that ye all spake with tongues. But I would rather, he says, that ye prophesied. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. Edifying. So he comes right out and he says it in verse 5. It's great, Paul says, to this early New Testament church, if you speak in tongues, if you are assigned unto these Jews of the last days, if the Lord has chosen you for that purpose, but, he says, it is so much better if you speak in your own language and you declare the Word of God unto edification, exhortation, and comfort. Because unless the speaker in tongues has an interpreter that can take what was said and relay it to the people for the edification of the people, it's really not helping anybody. Now keep your mind engaged here. Follow along with me as to what's being said. Paul is not telling them that they are choosing their gifts. He's simply painting the contrast between these gifts in order to reorient their priority to reorient how they place the gifts as far as honor is concerned in their minds. The church was busy elevating the gift of tongues. Those that had the gift of tongues were the most spiritual. Those that had the gift of tongues had something the other ones didn't. Those that had the gift of tongues were something special. And then by virtue of them elevating these others, these gifts, the sign gifts, the tongues, the miracles, the healings, the other gifts, such as prophecy, such as teaching, were minimized. And so you have these people that are already and gifted by God to teach the church and to edify the church and they're being ignored because everyone's stuck on these people that are speaking in a language they can't even understand. And that's a real problem for the church. Now Paul is not ranking the gifts here. He says that it's better if you prophesy than you speak in tongues. He's not saying that the person who speaks in tongues has a less needful gift has a less important gift in a manner of speaking. He's simply saying that that gift is not as profitable, again, so that he can reorient the minds of the people. Paul is, what he is doing here, is not necessarily speaking of greater and lesser gifts, but of gifts that are most needful for the hour. Gifts with the least honor that become the most important. It's not that that prophecy is a better gift, but it is a gift that is more beneficial to the assembly. Paul is speaking about the assembly. You see, there are certain gifts in here that are more needful in the assembly and certain gifts that find their manifestations perhaps not, in, not directly in the assembly. Your pastor has a gift that during the time where we meet is, is pretty essential. The word of God being expounded upon, being spoken, being declared, is an essential part of when we meet and we sing and we we do that. But then some of you have gifts that are that are more essential for other parts of the fellowship. Some of you have the gift of giving, and you know without your gift, my gift couldn't happen as well. Some of you have the gift of exhortation. And you know maybe your gift is best manifest on a Monday or a Tuesday when you call up your brother in Christ and you say, Hey, how are you doing? Are you staying in the Word of God? Have you prayed today? Is there something I can help you with? Let me tell you what the Lord taught me today. Maybe some of you, you come and and you come to the fellowship and the time where you are best served is as we go and you're spending quality time with people. And you are just building people up. And so Paul is not necessarily saying, okay, tongue speakers, your gift is not needed. Get it out of the church. He's saying when you come together as a fellowship, as an assembly, that is maybe not the best time for you. That is not, your, your, your gift is being used out of place. The best time for you is when there are unbelieving Jews that need to be validated. Don't steal the attention from the ones who are most needful, the prophets and the teachers, in the assembly. Don't take time from them. They need that time for their gift. I don't know, many of you have had me over or or have come over to our house. Your pastor is pretty quiet until you get him talking Bible. And then you can't shut him up. Sunday is my outlet. All week I'm getting bottled up and I get to pop the cork on Sunday and just let you know what what the Bible says. And so there's other times where somebody comes over to my house and they say, Pastor, I had a question about a verse. Okay, let's do this. I'm ready. Let's go. Because that's my gift. My gift, the setting for my gift is appropriate right here. Maybe your gift isn't appropriate during this time. And that's what Paul was saying about the gift of tongues. He's not saying that we don't need this gift, this gift isn't special, but this is about the assembly. And in the assembly, this is what is most needful. How much more beneficial is it, Paul implies, if he comes with revelation or knowledge or prophecy or doctrine, with something that the church can understand, can grow thereby. Look at verses 7 and 8. He says, and even uh, he gives an illustration here. He says, and even things without life-giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is pipe to harp? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself for the battle? Here's an illustration. Paul wants to illustrate this concept. He says it's the same thing with instruments as it is with people. He calls these instruments that that has no life-giving sound. Instruments have no ability to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, The only time where an instrument is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ is when the people know the words or are singing the words along with the instrument. It's not the sound coming out of the instrument that's giving the life-giving sound. It's the people singing it or the people that know it because they've memorized those words. The sound itself that comes out of an instrument is not what Paul considers life giving sound. give the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul said, if the, an instrument gives a sound that is not distinct, it does not do anyone any good. If the sound of the trumpet by the watchman is not the proper sound, the sound that tells people that there's something wrong, then the people won't get ready to fight. What good is a warning call if that call is not discernible? What good is a sound if it doesn't have a purpose? See, I can make noise. I can play sound. Did that really relate to you? I mean, did that really... I I, I hear a a venue of music, but but did that really do anything for you? Did that relate to you in any way? Not really. I meant to practice. Mm Now, when I played that, the words come to your mind? Mary had a little lamb, little lamb, little lamb, right? Or maybe some other variation of that same tune. When the music was put together, it gave discernment. you you could discern the sound. When when we play our pieces before the service, the preparation pieces, the, the special music, it's only as good as if you know the words. And we haven't done very well over the past many months of putting those words up on the screen like we used to. But that's the point of putting those words up on the screen when the music is playing because without the words, there's little edification. That's the idea that Paul's saying here. If a trumpet just blares random sounds and everyone goes, what is going on with our herald?" What's going on with our watchman? What's he doing up there? And then the army comes and invades because the watchman didn't give the right sound. But if he gives the proper call, if he gives the proper call, then the people will be warned because they have discerned the sound. My daughters have taken the same silly things. They're two and a half years old. They like to say things that sometimes have no meaning. So my girls will come up to me. It happened at church a couple of weeks ago. Just finished the service. My, wife comes, uh, my, my daughter comes up to me. She looks at me. She smiles and she says, honeybee. Okay. Thank you, Carl. Honeybee. It means nothing. There is no communication there. It was silly. It was really kind of useless. Didn't help me. Didn't help her. Communicated nothing. However, if she comes up to me and says, Daddy, I have to go potty, well, now we've communicated something. Now we've got a direction that we need to go in and we probably need to go in that direction fairly quickly. Communication. This is is what Paul is saying here. When you speak in tongues, he says, you're communicating something but no one's getting it. You're saying honeybee. Okay, great, honeybee. Didn't help me, any. But if you come up and you say something that actually has meaning, then we can both act on it. Verse 9. So likewise, he says, except ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into the air. If you're not speaking in a way that is understandable and communicative, then you are as good as speaking into the air. You are not doing anybody any spiritual Good Now, may I just take this illustration beyond just speaking in tongues? We mentioned it in Sunday school this morning. If your pastor were to get up every week and were to start to use super-high, lofty theological terms, and it's to, to speak on a level that you simply couldn't understand, I'm not doing you any good. My responsibility as I get up here every week is not for me to show you how smart I am or how much I've studied. My responsibility is to get you to understand what the Bible says. I am failing in my responsibility if I am not speaking in a way that you can discern. Now, we're all at different levels in this room. Some stuff is going to go over your head at this point and other stuff is not. Our children are only going to discern so much and their parents are going to have to help them discern the rest of it. And that's fine and that's right and that's good. But what Paul is saying here about tongues, and by extension, any time we're trying to communicate the Word of God is that our speech or our writing or our artwork or our whatever it might be as far as communicating the gospel is only good as to the degree that it is understood. If it's not understood, it's not doing anyone any spiritual good. Verses ten and eleven. There are it may be so many kinds of voices in the world Paul says and none of them is without signification therefore if i know not the meaning of the voice i shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me Paul says in verses 10 and 11 that you know there are many voices in this world and they all do have some meaning even in this room we have various forms of expression we have different voices High-pitched voices, low voices, squeaky voices, breathy voices. We have different forms of communication. We have artists. We have writers. Maybe we have some people that prefer drama. And they like to express and communicate themselves with drama. We have lecturers. We have motivational speakers. We have people that express themselves in all sorts of ways in this room. And every single way that we express ourselves has some significance. But there is one thing that is the same about all their all of our voices, and that is that we are conveying meaning. Now it may seem this way sometimes, and I know certain among us would attribute certain people, certain political parties, certain vocations to this group, but there aren't really, with the exception of medical difficulties, everybody in this world is able to speak and to communicate intelligibly. Now that may surprise you, but that's the case. Everyone is able to speak and communicate intelligibly. Fact of the matter is, however, we don't all do it. Just because we express meaning doesn't mean we can all understand. When we speak in a foreign language, we're not conveying meaning to those that don't understand it. Meaning is is there, but we can't pick it up. It's useless. So we're seen as an outsider, barbarian there literally meaning foreigner, someone who with whom I cannot freely communicate. I guess the best way that this rang true in my mind when I was interning, when I was in college, I was interning a pastoral internship, and I stayed at the house of this family. The father of that family was an artist. I have trouble understanding artists. He was a sculptor particularly. Now some artists, that's great, you know, they, they make things that are beautiful. But this, this man sculpted things, and the, the, the thing that he had sitting on his end table was like this bowl, glazed bowl, and then it had a little pillar coming up with a top, and then it had a kind of a round object on the top with a little horn. And one day his wife said, watch this and she went over to that bowl with the pillar and the horn and she took that top little ball with the horn on it and she turned it the other direction 180 degrees she said watch this so we're sitting there we're talking her husband comes in the sculptor comes in he immediately his eyes go to that sculpture he goes and he turns that horn back to where it was it looked like it looked like a sculpting accident to me The whole thing looked like a big sculpting accident. But to that man, that weird bull with that weird pillar with that horn round thing on top, not only did it have meaning to him, but it had to be in the right place. She said, he'll do that every time. She said, you put it off by three degrees, he will go and he will nudge it back, even if he didn't see you move it. Somehow that particular formation had meaning to him. And artists in this room can probably relate to that in some way. The way you did it has meaning. People may not know it. People don't see it. But it means something to you. However, as a artist, what we, what what we, well, artists, what they sometimes forget is that while art is an expression, which is what he was using it as, art also is intended to be communicative. And if we can't receive communication from the art, then yes, it may have been a great expression, but it's not being a great piece of communication. It doesn't have a lot of meaning to anyone else, which is why there are pieces of art that are just splatterings all over the wall that people spend hours and hours and hours trying to discern what the author was feeling here, right? Because he's not properly conveying anything. To anyone but himself. That's what Paul is saying here. He says, "If I know, uh, verse eleven. Therefore, if I know them not, the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian. I'll be as a foreigner. No one will be able to understand me." Verse twelve. Even so, ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts. Seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. He says, yes, pursue these spiritual gifts. Look for the spiritual gifts, but only as they are. Don't look for them for the, for the sake of finding them. Don't pursue spiritual gifts for the sake of spiritual gifts. Pursue it so that the church can be edified through you. If you miss that, folks, you've missed the boat. If you've missed the edification, you've missed the boat. If we're going to throw our weight behind any gift in the church, let it be unto edification. Verse 13-16. through 16, Please look at it with me. Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. Here's his, his conclusion. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. Else when thou shalt bless with the Spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say Amen at the giving of thanks, seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest? If Paul, or Paul says, if a man is going to speak in tongues, he says then let me just lay down a few guidelines for you. He says, if you're going to pray in tongues, make sure that there is an interpreter there. If there is no interpretation, the Spirit is praying, but no one's benefiting from it. Rather, he says, how much better if not only are you praying in the Spirit and praying unto God, but also helping others, edifying others, teaching others through your prayer. Now what happens when a man does pray in tongues? Verse 16 says he will bless the Lord in spirit, but those in the room who do not have understanding, those who are unlearned in the things of God, will not be able to benefit or even agree with what is said. There will be no learning, no edification, no spiritual growth. And learning, edification, and spiritual growth that is what you're here to do. That is what that's why you came. I don't know why you thought you came this morning, but the purpose that we meet together so that you can learn and grow. You can learn the Bible and you can thus grow into a better Christian, more like Christ. And if that is not happening, then why are we here? we just a social club? Need something to do Sunday mornings? need to get out of the house for a little bit, why are we here if we're not here to learn and to grow? If we're doing things that don't profit us, why are we doing them? Yes, we may be doing them as unto the glory of God, but they're not profiting anybody else. Now, we won't get there today, but in the next several verses, verses 18 and following, Paul gives some simple expectations concerning speaking in the assembly. He says in verse 17, For thou verily givest thanks well, but the other is not edified. And so as we apply today, I'd like us to see two points. And these two points are going to help us. As you notice, today's message wasn't as much about spiritual gifts as it was the purpose of the church. The purpose of us getting together. Spiritual gifts was just the medium through which Paul expressed these points. And these points are, number one, that the purpose of the corporate assembly is edification. The city of Buffalo is a perfect example of the importance of our first point. There are many philosophies about which the churches in this area are, are operating, through which they're focused in many different philosophies. There are many churches in this area that, that are focused on entertainment or focused on fellowship or focused on simply being an organization or on um, helping the community. But if we consider what Paul is saying here, he makes it very clear that outside of the ability to edify one another, our meeting here is fruitless. Your pastor is up here whistling to the wind if he is not edifying you. If you are not learning what the Bible has to say, if you are not growing thereby, if I am not communicating that, now it's up to you to learn it, but if I get up here and I'm just telling you good jokes, or I'm just giving you nice warm fuzzies, or I'm just telling you how you can try to be a better person for your community, or for your country, or I'm telling you how to be a good citizen, If I am not communicating the Word of God, then I am wasting my breath. Likewise, if you come and you are not edifying one another, building one another up, helping one another, praying for one another, uh, helping in, in some form, building one another up in some form, then you are wasting your time. Now, your pastor comes here every week and he knows his responsibility. I know my responsibility. I'm coming and I'm here to preach God's Word. But let me ask you this, what's your responsibility? Certainly you need to learn and to grow, but what about your purpose as unto edification? Do you come to church looking for opportunities to build one another up in the Word of God? Do you drive to church saying, okay, what did God teach me this week so that I can can tell someone else what the Lord taught me? Have you done that? Do you come to church ready to to show somebody what God has shown you? When we have our testimony times, is there something that you can share to, to edify the believers? When we pray, are you willing to take part in that time of prayer where we're building one another up by lifting our voices unto God? These are ways that we can edify one another. Edification doesn't begin and end when I close my Bible, open and close my Bible. It's before the service. It's after the service. How did the Lord impact your life this week? What did He teach you? How did He provide for you? And how can you, who can you share that with so that they can be blessed, so that they can see that God is working, so that they can be encouraged. Maybe they had a bad week. Maybe they had a faith conflict and they failed. And they're wondering now if God can even use them. And you come to church and you say, hey, praise God, He used me. It was so simple, yet God used me. And that believer, hearing your testimony, says, oh, yeah, God can use me too. I failed, but the just man falleth seven times and riseth again. Let's get up and try again. God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it again. And this time, I'm going to be successful. That is what we are here to do. Don't just allow yourself to be a passive church observer. Don't come, listen, and leave. Come, consume, and leave. That's not what you're here to do. I'm glad that you're learning. I hope you're learning. But you're not just here to take in. You're here to put out. It's an essential part of God's plan for you that you would be building up as much as you are being built up So the first lesson we learned is that the purpose of the corporate assembly is edification. Number two, the declaration of God's Word is essential to the believer and to the church. The primary part of any assembling of believers should always be God's Word. Whether that be God's Word reflected in study or in preaching or in prayer, God's Word should always have the preeminence. There's nothing more special, there's nothing more important to believers than the revealed Word of God very important that you surround yourself with the Word of God. The Word of God, as Paul declares it here in this passage, is that which um, is life-giving. We studied in Sunday school this morning about the Samaritan woman. And Jesus Christ promising that the water He could give her would be that which would place a well inside her, springing up unto everlasting life. The reality of that being that the Word of God is that which brings life. The Word of God needs to be central. It needs to be central to our activities. It needs to be central to our families. It needs to be central to our church. And it, it ought to be a central part of any church. You want to discern a good church from a bad church? One of the ways you can do that is to see how they handle the Word of God and how much they, they focus on the Word of God. If the Word of God takes a back seat, there's a real problem. If they don't handle it properly, if they don't believe it, if they don't trust it, there's a real problem because the word of god is essential the declaration of the word of god paul says it's far more important than signs and wonders that there is man or men in the church who get up and who expound on the word of god for the edification of the believer so how are we doing today how are you doing on edifying others You know your spiritual gift? I hope you do. If you don't, keep looking. But don't consume your life with it. Focus on charity. And as we come together, focus on edification. In order that the believers might be built up in love, that God's people can grow together, and as you are building others up in love, you will find your gift. You will find your niche. You will find your place and then you will be in a place where you can serve in that place with all your heart. Let's pray together.